0: Hello and welcome to the Deep Track Podcast, an exploration of watches, trends, and culture with a few adventures along the way. I'm your host, Blake Bettner. This week's episode is going to be just me. I'm going to talk about a few things that I'm looking forward to over the next coming months, uh, including planning for Watches and Wonders, a lead-in to the F1 season, and a few watch releases that have caught my eye here over the past few months. Before we get into it, a quick reminder that the Deep Track is now on YouTube, releasing videos weekly. If you haven't had a chance, go over to YouTube and give some of the videos a watch. They've been a lot of fun to produce so far, and I've got a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline as well, including a few of my favorite releases uh, so far this year. I'm just returning to New York here after a week of travel in Wisconsin, uh, where I was able to get a change of scenery and a change of pace a bit. So shout out to my home state of Wisconsin there. You'll notice a different background in a few of the videos that we have upcoming. That is the reason for that. Uh, I'm going to try and get outside or mix things up a little bit more in some of the videos uh, so it's not just me sitting here in my office. And uh, we're starting to do that in some of the videos that we shot in Wisconsin. Um, all right. This week, I am wearing an Omega Seamaster. Uh, Seamaster 2231.50. This is a full titanium Seamaster Gen 1. uh, Seamaster, I should say, from the later end uh, of the Gen 1s in the early 2000s. This is a watch that has been on my mind uh, the past couple of days. I've seen it come up in a few discussions online. Uh, Somebody in particular was asking about um, these early Seamaster 300s and the Pelagos 39 uh which i thought was kind of an interesting comparison and i think that this specific reference offers the most interesting comparison between the two uh they are slightly similar but they wear quite different and obviously have a very different design language but to see these two watches come up together in discussion i think is an interesting one there's another watch that i see kind of thrown into the mix there and that's the xin u50 of course these three watches at a glance have a lot of similarities uh, and they probably appeal to the same kind of collector or the same kind of person uh But they each have their own kind of unique qualities that they bring to the table. So, uh, you know, I I would always consider the Omega Seamaster 300 as a watch that's probably more flexible uh, in terms of being able to dress it up, dress it down. Only because uh, most of them have more polished surfaces. They've got a slightly fancier case design with a twisted lug. But that might just be me. I've seen a few people kind of bring up other uh, thoughts online in that regard, which I think is pretty cool. Um, And people... Looking at a watch like the Pelagos 39 as one that they could also dress up, um, which I hadn't really thought of before, but I guess I have compared it to old Submariners, uh, like the 14060. So I guess in scene through that vein, it is something that would maybe fly under the radar a little bit with something like a tuxedo, um, well, or maybe a suit and tie or something like that. Uh, I don't know what the rules are around that kind of stuff. But uh, but these are generally watches, uh, especially the Pelagos 39 and Omega C Master 300, that I think have a fair bit of flexibility in how you could wear them and how you could approach them in your wardrobe. Uh, the u 50 is probably a little bit more unique in that it uh, is a little bit harder to dress up uh or or to approach in a formal way that you maybe could uh with the omega and the tutor so uh but i think they, they all have their own very unique uh, appeal to them and i think they're all three uh, exceptional watches so hard to go wrong there but if you just got a few watches to play with i would probably recommend that the seamaster 300 over the Tudor and the Zin, but your mileage may vary there, and I think the Pelagos 39 certainly has uh, a flexibility to it. Um, Though, you know, again, again, I I don't know about wearing it with a tux or anything like that, but uh, all three really capable, really handsome watches uh, at that. So so that's what's on my wrist today. I really love this first generation of Seamaster 300. I love how flat it wears against the wrist, Uh, and I also really love the much smaller helium release valve uh, at 10 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's much lower profile. Uh, it doesn't really inhibit any of your wrist movement or anything like that, like some of the uh, more modern ones. So this is generally a profile and a shape that I'd really love to see them play with uh, a bit more or go back to uh, a bit more. But uh, we will see. I would also like to see Omega maybe revisit the Planet Ocean Um, as a platform that is a watch that's of course a watch that we really haven't seen get a proper uh, design update Um. In in, in a long, long time. And it's a watch that I've always had kind of a partial fondness for. I think it's a good looking watch and uh, plays as a good kind of counterbalance to the uh, Seamaster 300 there. So, um, all right, that's that's my very long uh, wrist check here. Before we get into the watch stuff here, I also wanted to make a note about uh, the Formula One season. I'll probably have a few guests on this year throughout the season to talk specifically uh, about Formula One and the season as it progresses. I don't know that I will do a special series of episodes after each of the races, but I will do my best to get some special guests on to talk about the season, what's going on, and react to some of the things that are happening. Uh, And then going into the following seasons, I think maybe things get a little more interesting, hopefully, uh, especially with the regulation change uh, in 2026. Uh, of course, with Lewis Hamilton announcing that he will be going over to Ferrari uh, next season, just as that car is really kind of looking like it's uh, starting to come into its own here in this regulation set. Uh, I think that could lead to a really interesting season. I hope it leads to a really interesting season. Uh, even this season, I, you know, as I've mentioned many times, I'd love to see more competitive racing in the sports. So after testing, I feel pretty positive about that. Uh, The consensus seems to be that the Red Bull still has a dominant team, but uh, I think a few other cars look like they're pretty well positioned to close the gap. Uh, hopefully a little bit faster than they have been able to in the seasons past. Ferrari chief among them, uh, it does look like they have been able to sort themselves out in terms of their tire degradation issues that they've experienced uh, over the last uh, season or two here. So, you know, of course they've had great pace, like one lap pace and qualifying pace. So uh, if they could stretch that out <laughs> to last over the course of a full race distance, then, uh, you know, I think they'd be in business. So uh, overall really hoping to see more Competitive racing out front uh, there but if not uh, if the kind of tier two teams are all bunched up uh, that can also make for some pretty exciting racing as well so uh, season begins in Bahrain uh, this coming weekend uh, which is of course the last weekend of February from the 29th of February to the uh, well, I guess it's the 2nd of March. Uh, the race is actually on Saturday, so as not to interfere with Ramadan. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And again, uh, keep an eye out for some special guests throughout the season to discuss Formula One and everything that's happening there. Uh, I don't know yet if those will be bonus episodes or if they'll just kind of fall in line on the usual Tuesday Uh, If enough of you have an interest in Formula One, uh, certainly let me know. Reach out to me uh, at info at thedeeptrack.com. If you like to hear that, if you don't like to hear it, uh, you know I don't want to interfere with uh, uh, watch enthusiasts coming for watch content uh, or anything like that, uh, having to be... uh, having to sift through formula one content or anything so all right with that uh let's get over into the watch side of things we are coming up on watches and wonders which is taking place april 9th which is a tuesday is the day that the show starts Um, And then it will go through the week here. There is a few days of public access to it as well. Uh, I will be in Geneva attending the fair uh, meeting with the brands and getting my hands on a lot of the new releases uh, from that Tuesday the 9th uh, through uh, Friday the 12th. So I'll be there that entire week. Uh, So I'll have some special coverage coming from that, including videos, some special podcasts, and I'll get some special guests on with colleagues there in Geneva as well. So we will be reacting to all of the new releases. Uh, And on that note, next week, I will be welcoming Kate Bazemore, another journalist in the watch industry to the podcast, where we will go through what we hope to see uh, from Watches and Wonders, um, maybe taking a look at some of the recent trends that we've seen what we expect to see continue, what we hope to see continued, and maybe even a few watches that we would like to see from some of the participating brands as well maybe we'll make a few predictions as well, so stay tuned for that uh, which will be coming next week Week. All right, getting into a few of the watches that have come out here in recent weeks, uh, there's a few that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to start with Zen. Now, they have released a handful of really interesting watches, uh, including a new U50 Hydro. Uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I have a few niggles with that watch, though, that, that we'll get to in a second. I first wanted to talk about uh, a new chronograph, the 103 STTY HD. <laughs> uh, not the sexiest name in the world, but the watch itself is, uh, is is really quite stunning. Of course, the 103 is a you know kind of a historic platform for them, and uh, and I think it still works just as well today uh, as, as it ever has. Uh, it's got kind of the squared off long lugs uh, with a heavy chamfer on them. Uh, It's fully polished here, which is my only potential issue with this watch i'd love to see uh, a brush or even even them using their uh, their tegmented um you know bead blasted type material that we see on on watches like the u50 uh, but i love the bezel and dial design uh of this watch uh there's no date here it's all black it's got some red accents uh this is just kind of a straightforward classic good-looking zinn chronograph uh, 103 uh which is a design that which is very toolish functional design But it has this you know german flair to it. Uh, It's hard to put your finger on but uh, But they certainly do it better than than almost anyone out there It's just a super handsome watch all around have not really given much thought to like shrinking the form factor trimming it out This watch is comfortable in its own shoes uh, But there are a few surprises this watch Which is limited edition to 1000 pieces is using a hand wound movement, uh, which I think is pretty cool It's also using an acrylic crystal. So really kind of leaning into the old-school vibes uh, with this watch Uh, um, which I think is pretty awesome here for Zinn to be doing, uh, and generally something that we don't see a lot of from them. Like, even when they come back to their EZM1 concept, for instance, uh, it, it's it's done in a, in a very modern way. Like, they generally seem to move uh, only in one direction here on these watches. So, uh, you yeah, know, this is a welcome watch for me. I think it's a great-looking watch, priced at $2,870. So, so, somewhat in the approachable realm, I suppose, for the, for them and this kind of thing. Uh, but all around, this is a watch that I like a lot, and is a watch that I'm excited to see in person soon but this isn't the watch that has me most excited uh from Zen. they released uh some new u50s uh and they are hydros i don't know why i guess it's not something that i expected to see hit this platform but i'm really glad that it has and it makes a lot of sense this is a technology where they they fill the case uh with with oil so uh it kind of matches the ambient pressure i guess Giving it theoretically, uh, you know, <laughs> unlimited, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, depth rating, and uh, and the other effect of it is that it looks like the dial is kind of glued onto the crystal, so you can you can read the time at extreme angles, uh, which which is a really cool thing. Uh, the only issue I have with this watch. Um, I don't even mean, you know if it's really an issue. It's really just the use of the broadsword hands that we saw on the T-50 uh, introduced. And I'm not overly fond of, of this uh, hand design. I think the uh, the kind of towering, brutal design of the hands on the U-50, the regular one, is one of the elements that makes that watch so interesting. And, uh, you yeah, know, it's it's something that I would have welcomed to see here in, in hydro form as well. Uh, aside from that, though, it, they have all the options. Uh, including the steel bezel, the judgment, uh option as well as the SDR with the black uh, bezel as well. So, um, Overall, I think this is a really welcome watch and I'd love to see them continuing to use this technology. It's something that I've talked about wanting to see an innovation that I would love to see from, from other brands as well, especially if they're really going for, um, you know, usable tool watch uh, where, where the form is really kind of following that kind of a function. It's not just kind of paying lip service to, yeah, it's a tool watch, but we know you're not going to really, really use it for that, you know, it really kind of leans into the, you know, we're developing technology for it to be used this way, uh, which I think is really cool. I've talked a lot about, you know, something like the uh, the Tudor Pelagos FXD getting a pro version with an oil-filled case, uh, I think would be really, really cool to see. Um, yeah, and that's the kind of thing where it's it's not like it's about uh, the the of it; like it's really about the function of it. So, so, so using the a uh, battery power, a quartz movement, um, it's not as big a deal there. So, this is the kind of innovation that I really enjoy from a brand like Zen, and uh, you know, I guess once again, something that I would really welcome from a, from a brand like Tudor as well who is ostensibly making uh you know kind of hardcore tool watches in the spirit of kind of the old school <laughs> tool watches you know this is territory that we've seen rolex uh, for instance move away from which has really kind of opened the door for for a brand like tudor to uh kind of pick up the ball spiritually <laughs> where maybe rolex uh dropped it uh, coming out of the 90s or something so fingers crossed you know i, I suppose i'd be really surprised to, to see that happen but um You know, never say never, I suppose, right? So all those new watches from Zinn, I'll be looking to go hands-on with and provide some video content around uh, here in the coming weeks, so keep an eye out for that. All right, next up, uh, we've got some new watches from Baltic. This is the Prismic. Uh, This is kind of their take on the cocktail watch, which I think is really interesting. Uh, And this is a... Uh, well, it's a unique looking watch, that's for sure. It's It's got kind of a, a multi-part case uh, with different finishes that I think works really well here. I like that they're not afraid to take chances with the dials and with dial colors. And this is a watch that really seems to embrace its spot, kind of living between a few genres or trying to kind of take details from a few different genres to create something that... A, I guess, feels really unique, and B, kind of makes itself, um, you know, broadly relevant across a lot of different use cases, and in terms of this being a watch that doesn't really adhere to any strict set of rules around any genre and sometimes it's fun to see watches that take this approach uh where they kind of you know bristle at being labeled anything specific even though baltic has used uh the kind of cocktail watch language here this feels to have a slightly more um maybe masculine uh, approach to that genre i suppose uh, it's got these kind of square diamond shaped uh, pyramid shaped uh, hour markers which cause a bit of tension uh, I think and not only that they kind of sit between a few different layers in the dial and a few different finishes in the dial including these kind of deep recesses in in, in the main central part of the dial that uh, that radiate out in kind of like a sunburst fashion so and overall the whole look is something that's kind of hard to put your finger on uh, in terms of placing it uh, or or how you might use it or or what kind of outfits you might wear uh, with it and the dial colors uh, only exacerbate that there is a kind of a light salmon and a desaturated green and bluish gray silver uh as well as a purple which which i personally kind of like uh and then they put it on these mesh straps that uh, tuck up right against the case here in a kind of an integrated fashion so uh, overall i think this is a really interesting watch and and i like seeing a brand like baltic uh you know take some chances on on a watch like this overall uh kind of see how it lands and and really maybe carve out a new space uh, for for themselves i think they have a pretty good handle on their own design language we've seen them uh, kind of recreate some of the Classics in their own way, uh, which worked out really well in in the past, and this kind of takes a different direction uh, than those watches. So, so I'm excited to see where Baltic uh, takes this and to see what this means potentially for uh, for for the brand moving ahead. They're part of a cadre of young brands that I'm really excited about. Uh, the other one being Furlon Mari. I'm really excited to see what they have coming this year. And then there's another young French brand called Serica, uh, which I think is also doing really interesting things uh, and developing a very unique, very distinct design language of their own, um, and and they're kind of making maybe mid-century inspired sport watches. Uh, you know, they look like they could have come out of another era, uh, but they also feel... Modern in the same way, I suppose. I think it's really that on-wrist presence and feeling that a lot of these brands are trying to capture. Uh, so they pay great attention to uh, to their cases, to how they're sized. They're generally sized a little bit smaller, uh, but they make up for that with the slightly more muscular design decisions uh, around them, as well as things like interesting end links that fit into the case that provide maybe a more muscular feel on the wrist as well so it doesn't feel like a compromise it really feels like it's trying to capture a lot of the brilliant qualities that we love so much about some of these vintage watches and recreate it in a modern way that's also maybe a little bit more approachable to people with uh with with all kinds of wrist sizes uh, there so uh, so, you know, I think a lot of eyeballs are on brands like this and what they might have up their sleeve uh, here over the coming years. And this is generally the, the area of the industry that, uh, that has me the most excited or most, most optimistic, uh, maybe I should say. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're at a good size. They've got well-established um, design language and design DNA kind of that they've gotten off the ground and uh, provided a firm foundation for. Yet they're still small enough that they can take some risks in bringing uh, maybe some of their unorthodox vision to life. Uh, which is certainly a welcome thing and a much needed thing uh, these days, I think. And then finally, we have a new watch from uh, Piaget. Uh, this is the Polo 79. Uh, I was at the release party for this in New York when it was launched a couple of weeks back and was able to get my hands on it uh, for, for a brief period there. And I got to say, I was really impressed by the watch overall. Uh, it is a very impressive watch. Uh, visually, it uh, really kind of captures the, the magic of the original launched in 1979, of course. Uh, it's a very unusual Design it feels more like a piece of jewelry that's brought brought to life with with a serious uh, you know, move, watch movement on the inside uh, here. So it's the whole thing is solid gold. It's put together really well and uh, and it's exceptionally expensive as well. Uh, it's seventy three thousand dollars, which. Um, you know, it's kind of a bummer. I think that they've really captured something great in their past and the design, the essence of it, I think, which is something that Piaget has really always been good at. And here they've captured something that I think is kind of coming around on, on the trend scale uh, again, this kind of uh, mid-80s vibes here to the, to the max. But uh, not many of them will be made and it's very expensive. So just kind of like the Vacheron 222 that we saw a few years back, you know, you know I just can't see many people uh, buying these watches or being able to, <laughs> to buy these watches I guess I should say uh, which is kind of a bummer you know I, I really like to see brands paying attention um, to, to this era of their catalog uh, and it's something that I would like to see more brands doing in, in terms of maybe not recreating things exactly as, as Piaget has kind of done here uh, but really as I mentioned <laughs> kind of kind of like with, with Baltic and, and Serica capturing the feel that made those watches so great in the first place you know I talk a lot about sport watches and tool watches from uh from the 90s and uh and maybe even early 2000s and what made them just so kind of weird and special and how that's been lost uh, a lot. And I think brands coming back to see these parts of their catalogs and looking for something that's that's unique, that they can uh, market in a very unique way these days, it's really about capturing that feel. And, and, you know, I know Piaget has done a great job with with this watch, but, uh, but I'd like to see other brands like, you know, IWC or Zenith, uh, uh, you know, brands that made some great tool watches uh, back in these eras kind of look back to these parts of their catalogs to find uh, a really unique and individual part of their identity that they could bring back in a way that's uh you know again i'm not looking for these things to be recreated one-to-one uh but really kind of asking what made those watches great or so interesting in the first place or so unique you know what is it that makes these watches so unique uh and then try and kind of bring that back i think iwc did did something close with their new engineer um but that's a watch that has taken on a far more luxurious vibe than its predecessors had and that watch might be in a slightly different category but you know that's the kind of thing that i'm talking about i think they did a good job with it there you know of course you can say what you want about the price, but in terms of being able to look at their past and bring out some of the things that made those watches special without recreating it one for one, I think opens up opportunities and possibilities for them to build more of a future collection. Uh, around, around some of these names, which would be a welcome thing, uh, if you ask me. So maybe I'll put together a list of some prime candidates <laughs> that I would like to see. Uh, you know, again, not brought back one to one, but at least used as a good basis uh, uh, for for new collections that uh, some of these brands could start building on. But it does seem like a lot of brands like that, like the Zeniths of the world and the IWCs of the world, they're kind of trying to position themselves as more uh, luxury watchmakers. You know, nowadays, I think a lot of these brands want to be able to hit the buyers that uh, that have maybe a little bit more disposable income uh, to spend. And while I think some of them are still making really cool watches, others have maybe lost the plot uh, a little bit, unfortunately. But I hope that this is a part of the industry that can sort itself out uh, here in the coming years. uh, As brands maybe try to make these moves and find that they have a hard time finding buyers uh, up in some of these realms, they can kind of dial back and and, uh, uh, take greater care to maybe understand what made them so great in the first place. And find that they have a lot of people ready and waiting for them to be enthusiastic about the brand, once again, if they can recapture that. Uh, But that's my feelings on it uh, so there's a few new releases that uh, that I wanted to at least get a few thoughts out again stay tuned to next week we'll have Kate Baysmore on we'll be talking about more of our predictions and uh, trends for the upcoming year and with that we're gonna wrap this episode up uh, thanks so much for listening uh, this is episode 12 uh, I believe of the podcast and I've uh, I've really just been incredibly humbled by the response uh, to, to to the first handful of episodes that I've done here so thank you to everyone who's taken the time to uh, to leave a review or share it or or give it a listen. I really appreciate uh, every one of you. Uh, And on that note, uh, a reminder that The Deep Track is uh, reader, viewer, listener supported uh, entirely. uh, So I'll leave a link to our Patreon down below. Uh, All right, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, Feel free to leave any feedback or reach out to me uh, with anything that you would like to see from Watches and Wonders this season uh, at info at thedeeptrack.com. I look forward to hearing from you. All right, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, Take care.